Hi, I'm Mark Stoudemire, host and creator of Get to the Joke, a web series that's a master class in the art of stand-up comedy. I hope you find today's episode to be both fun and helpful, and you can help me out by subscribing to my YouTube channel and liking the video. And feel free to drop a comment, I'll be happy to get back to you. Alright, well let's get to the joke. I'm Mark Stoudemire, a comedian from Philadelphia. As you can probably imagine, how much going on uh, right now. Uh, I can tell you the most exciting thing I had going on this week was my buddy called me up. He was like, hey Mark, found this cat outside. So I neutered him, gave him the shots, and I rescued this cat. You want to come over and see my cat? Well, I got some better to do. I'll for like 45 minutes to come see this cat. Showed this guy's house, cat's not even there. The dude, where's this cat goes? Oh, it's an outdoor cat. <laughs> outdoor cat? Let me get this straight, fella. You found a cat outside, cut its bowls off, and put it right back outside. <laughs> Seems like a pretty raw deal for that cat. Story has another turn. This guy has two other cats. They're both house cats. That house has outdoor cat deals. Like, oh, outdoor cat, don't be coming in here. Deal is food and air conditioning and love. That's not for you. You can't run back outside, you outside cat. Now I know how Cooper Manning feels. Nobody. All right. For those who don't know, Cooper Manning is Eli and Peyton Manning's other brother. There's a reason you never heard about Cooper Manning, because nobody cares about Cooper Manning. He's an outdoor cat. And our guest today is Jesse Blanco, who is not only a personal friend of mine, but also an amazing comedian. Uh, he helps myself and another comedian out on our monthly showcases called Sweet Sweet Comedy. He also runs the Reading Comedy Outlet, which you can find the website to in the show notes for this episode. Uh, Jesse is the consummate professional. He is so nice and professional, and and he has a he has a knack for this business. Uh, he's also an amazing comedian, so this was such a great interview as far as seeing a little more unconventional way to develop the jokes than you've seen in past episodes. Uh, Jesse was very open about his uh, the physical abuse in his childhood, which what you'll see in this episode. Uh, I think that that everyone will find some kind of meaning in this episode. So, without further ado, let's get to the episode. I do like the fact, though, that we are becoming more integrated as a society. I mean, America is a melting pot. I love the fact that there's so many ethnicities. There's a great representation in this room here tonight. Give it up for that, right? I'd like to see America start doing something, though, to show that they're embracing all this ethnicity. They need to start naming more everyday things, like after uh, more ethnic names. Think of streets, um, I don't know, sandwiches, parts, whatever you name it. 
But how great would it be to hear like a storm? Imagine, six o'clock, don't, don't. Today's top story, Jamal pounded us with 13 inches. <laughs> Sorry, boss, can't make it. Jamal blew my back out. <laughs> Calling Jesse Blanco. Hey, what's up, buddy? How you doing? I was just setting up this camera right now. Oh. Right now I'm sitting on the deck, which is where the dining table is. And then this area over here is like our outdoor living room area. I love it, dude. Paper. I think my only complaint then, is how come you haven't invited me down there yet to enjoy that backyard? <laughs> <laughs> because as beautiful as my backyard is, I am not ashamed to admit the last thing we've touched on this house is the bathroom. And the bathroom looks like stir-fried shit. And my wife... My wife is like, I don't like company coming over and seeing our bathroom. Because everything else is finished and remodeled, you know? Yeah. But, um, no, I'll get you down here. <laughs> Listen, anything that I'm doing in a positive light, whether it's taped or not, you keep it, do what you want with yeah. it. Cause, hey, heaven forbid the good Lord takes me away. <laughs> Even this little tidbit, yeah. someone may want, you know yeah. what I mean? Just for whatever, so... I'm not one of those guys that acts my property. That, yeah. No, I'm putting myself out there for a reason because um, I, I want my story to be heard. And one, well, that's, sure. that's what I'm looking for. Um, well, but so yeah, so I want to know. I think with stand-up comedians, you know, like um, there's a fascination at some point about um, what like that we become like almost like obsessed with stand-up comedy. So I'm interested with you, like. When did when did your fascination with stand up start? Who were your early influences, kind of thing? Like uh, and like, what kind of stand like what kind of stand up appeals to you? It may be different than what you do. Can you just give me a little bit about like when stand up became important to you. Wow, I'll tell you what. I as a kid, um, I'm talking single digits, like nine, eight, nine years old. I grew up in the seventies and. Um, I always had a sense, I always liked to laugh. Uh -huh. And what we would do, there were two things we would do when our parents weren't, i.e. watching. Um, when you were a young boy with your cousins and your uncles. And um, what we'd do, outside of peeking at like nudie books, <laughs> we would listen to comedy albums. And I remember as a kid listening to eight track tapes of Red Fox and Richard Pryor and stuff, stuff like that. Um, oh my gosh, um, brain fart right now. Um, Pet George Carlin albums, stuff like that where we would have the volume on low and we'd all be huddled around the speaker. And I remember them telling jokes and quite honestly, I didn't get half of it. <laughs> but 
just the setup, the delivery, and then the laughter, it, 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 it's like, it, quit it, and, and, and those guys, you know, they used a lot of four-letter words and stuff. Uh -huh. So, as a, as a, you remember as a kid, nine years old, when you were in the park and your parents weren't around, you were dropping four-letter words like it's the only language you knew. And it was like, shit this, yeah. that, that, <laughs> da, 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 da. And, and, you know, back then it wasn't as politically correct, so it was like, oh, you're an F or you're... Yeah. Things you didn't know. So I didn't know what I was listening to in a sense of getting it. Mm -hmm. But I knew it was funny. And it made me laugh. And then I can remember... Eddie Murphy's um, delirious, uh -huh. and I'm there at my grandma's, and it was a stairway. My grandma worked third shift, and she had to get up at like might have been like ten o'clock or something like that. And his thing started at nine and changed, uh -huh. and he got to the um, ice cream man skit. Yeah, yeah. And I was laying on the carpet watching a floor model TV. Because this is how old I'm dating myself. I was laughing so hard that I couldn't breathe. And I made such a ruckus that I woke my grandmother up a half hour early. And she bitched me out. It was like, you know, because I disturbed her sleep, you know. And I was just like, this stuff is so funny. And it's so, I would love to be able to do this stuff. And it kind of just sat resonated in me, this whole comedy thing. And I would go to comedy shows, but it just wasn't the same, you know, like locally and stuff like that. Uh -huh. I got my wife and we would go to comedy shows on dates and stuff. And I always just was enamored with comedy. And um, it was my... It was five years ago. It was just over five years ago. We were at the Philadelphia Auto Show. Uh -huh. And my wife says to me, if money wasn't an object, what would you do for a living? And I told her, I want to be a comedian. Yeah. She looked at me dead in the face and goes, you're not even that funny. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you talking about? I make you laugh all the time. So I told her, which is my threesome joke. Yeah. I told her the threesome joke, and she goes, that's pretty funny. I like that. Where do you go from here? And um, from there, I said, I don't know. I guess I got to take a class because I didn't know where to go. Yeah. I didn't know because I wasn't plugged in anymore. You know, I, there was no way I was going 20 years back and be like, hey, how do you do this? <sighs> um, so I... Google classes and the class came up in Philly and uh, the guy responded to me. Um, you know, you worked with him. Yeah. Brad Track responded to me and um, he told me the class and how much it costs. And I was like, I can't do it this month. Can I do it next month? And I signed up and I went there that first day and I didn't know we were going to be on stage. So we were going to learn yeah. and go. And he threw me up on stage. And um, he gave everybody five minutes to do jokes. Well, I was towards the end. I might have been even less. Everybody went up. No one really went five minutes. But they definitely had a better grasp of it than me. Because as funny as I thought I was, I went up there. And 
it wasn't funny. But I get the five minutes. So okay. even with them not laughing and everything, I just went on and, and faced that fear of being on stage and stuff. And it, it like I said, it was not funny at all. No one laughed. After class, they were all huddled together. I walked by, they kind of like half looked at me and I went on. And I remember Brad telling me, you got a sense of humor, but let's teach you how to tell jokes. And that's when, you know, we were made aware of the different types of jokes and how to do them. So then I started looking at my life differently from that point on. And things that would happen, I would like, how, do, how is this funny? How do I turn it into a joke? And I'm very fortunate that my wife is a huge source of entertainment. <laughs> and she is, she is batting 1000% with what is funny and what is not funny. Because I will come up with a concept and I think it's hilarious and she'll be like, it's not funny. I'm like, are you kidding me? This is funny. And I'll try it and it falls flat. She's like, I told you it's not funny. But I do know this, when something happens that is funny and she's like dying and she's crying, then I know it is truly, truly funny. And I'm like, okay, how do I harness this? How do I put this together so that I can get it out there to the masses? There are so many premises that come up where I give her the premise, she'll be doing dishes or cooking. And I'll say, babe, I'm gonna tell you something. I tell her, and she'll go, yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. But I know when it's golden, when she falls out, or she tells me two days later, you know, I couldn't stop thinking about what you said. And then it goes from there. And a lot of my stuff gets bounced off of her. So if you look at the concept of where a joke comes from, all of my jokes come from real life experiences. And I think that's where you're going to get the funniest material when it's real life and it happens. So, so yeah. Go ahead. Oh, so I'll stop you there because there's there's a lot you just said. I want to go back and I, I before we before we go into that part, I kind of want to know a little more about your background. There's, yeah. So you you just talked about the fact that your your jokes come a lot from your life experiences. However, I mean, I know I know most of your jokes because we we've worked together quite quite a lot over these over this last year or two. Um, you don't you and it seems like the source of your jokes you said is your wife, which makes a lot of sense. But you don't go back any further. It sounds like pre your wife for any joke. So so let me dig a little bit back into your background here. You you talked about you lived with your mother and your grandmother. So are are you? I forget. Are you an only child or do you have siblings? No, no. I I stayed at my grandmother's. I didn't live. It was a soup overnight. Oh, okay. I lived. This, 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 this here's the sad part of the whole thing. <laughs> Grew up. Mother separated from my father when um, I, I five, even three years old, four to three years old. Um, she was a single mom, and then she got with this guy, uh -huh. um, would turn out to be my stepfather. Um, not a, not a good man, not a good man, not a kind man. How so? And, uh, he was just mean. He, he was mean. I mean, he was mean and. I looked a lot like my stepfather, or like my real father, and he didn't like my real father. And um, as a childhood, I would 
looking to laughter and sports and those kind of things kept me happy and sane because when I wasn't doing those things, it was dark because he was an asshole. You know, the dude's in the dirt and thank God he's in the dirt. But um, what had happened was my father was so disconnected that he actually signed away my rights, his rights. And my, la my last name used to be Dawson. Okay. And, and that's where the adoption came in because, you know, one day I'm told, hey, you're going to be adopted. Your name is now going to be Blanco. And, and um, I didn't want to do it, but I didn't really have enough say to say, no, that's not what I want. So I was adopted in that form. I was, you know, my name was taken. And so there was a lot of stuff I had to deal with as a kid. Yeah. And like I said, between the sports and the comedy, that's what that those were my outlets to find to find a, a sense of sanity because my home life was my mom worked her ass off. She was an amazing person in that regards, but there was a lot of darkness in my house because of my stepfather. I think so, I met your mom. She came to the the one show. Yes. She's at the front. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So she's still around and she still supports you. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Listen, my mom was always there. Um, it's just, like I said, when she worked so much to provide for us, so she wasn't around as much. And I, as a kid dealt with the wrath of, of an asshole stepdad. And, yeah. and, uh, and, uh, you know, you hear adage treated like a redhead stepchild. It, that was me in a sense. And it was ironic because I did have like reddish hairs and stuff like that uh, because of my mixed race. But that was my childhood. And then the stuff I did outside of it, that was my happiness and joy. So were you, did you, were you a funny kid? Like, did you use humor to like make, if your mom, if, I don't know if this guy was also mean to your mother as well, but did you use humor to kind of get her in a good mood if, 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 if something really bad just happened with your stepfather? Like, did you, were you a funny kid or did the funny stuff just come like I only in stand-up? I like jokes as a kid. I never was one that was like good at, as they call it, snaps where you like crack back and forth. Mm -hmm. But I would see things that happened and make a response and it would get laughter. So I would, I was always, I was always mentally taking in what happened around me. And then what the, would happen is if it was something that I would make a comment about it that might have elevated the funniness to it or turned something into funny, that happened. But I was, a junior high, I was kind of considered a class clown, but it, I couldn't be too much of a class clown because if I got into too much trouble, then I had to go home and face the wrath of getting in trouble in school. Uh -huh. And that was always extra. Because I grew up in the days of getting beat, belled, all that kind of stuff. And if I got grounded, it just made things more miserable because now I couldn't go yeah. through the things that made me happy. So that there was a darkness there that was always... I look to the light, as they said, you know, for that happiness. And that's, that's where that came from. 
So, so why, so you, you hear a lot about, you know, a lot of the reason people hold up like Pryor and Carlin and these people, they're saying they're raw, they dig deep, Eddie Murphy, they, you know, they talk about, you don't really talk about that on stage. You kind of leave your whole childhood, is it, is it just, you're real, you're still new trying to figure it out, you know, how to make that funny? It's, you, you don't you don't address it at all pretty much. You're both talking about present day situations as as being funny, but you don't ever really talk about pre, you know, 2015 Jesse Langer. You know why? Because in my heart, my hairs are standing up now. As I as I say, I get this chicken skin. In my heart, I'm in this for the long haul. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to be that comic 10 years from now, I'm still doing the mattress joke or the threesome joke. Yeah. Um, I want to grow and evolve. And truth be told, that stuff that happened to me then is mine. I don't have to worry about it getting taken or said by someone else. I mean, I'm not saying other people didn't go through it, uh -huh. but when you look at comics and they're like, they put out specials or they put out albums and they, and they elevate and they grow and they come across topics. There is a treasure chest of stuff to talk about and work with. I, what's the rush? I feel like it's there. And, and truth be told, I think everything I'm doing now, it's just going to help me make that stuff better. Because I don't know at this stage of the game, I've been doing it five years. I kind of got an idea how to make it funny, how to make it funny. Because I don't want to fill a show with two minutes of darkness to get one laugh. Yeah. Like, I, I, I want to be able to be at peace with it to a point that I can comfortably talk about, that I can punch it up, that... It, it'll just come across, and when it, when it when it's done and it's presented, I want people going, "God, that was funny." I don't want them going, "Damn, you look the dark childhood." You know, you look the dark. I don't want them thinking that. I want them thinking funny, and I I haven't picked it apart to make it funny yet. Okay, um, that's fair enough. And, and that's where it's at. So, have you ever dealt with that stuff? Like, have you like gone to therapy, or have you talked to your mom about any of that stuff that was like growing up, or have you kind of just kept that in a lockbox? I go to therapy. Um, I see a therapist. Um, he helps me deal with some stuff. Um, I've never, to this point, really broke down. I told my mom about some things, but I haven't told her everything. And that has a lot to do with the fact that um, when I do get into these discussions with her, there's, there's a lot of emotional breakdown. Uh -huh. And then the message isn't getting received or heard. And the biggest thing I've told my mom to the state is, I love everything you've done. And I'm not holding you responsible for what has happened. Was your so mom... I'm sorry, was your, was your mom unaware of that dynamic between your stepfather and you because she was working? Like, was this news to her, or did she have an idea? No, she, she knew. She knew, and my mom had to deal with shit, too. Yeah. Like, it, it, it took my mom a long time to find a real man. 
Oh, that's the guy we met. That's the that's the guy that came to her with the show, right? Is that her yeah. boy? Is that a husband or boyfriend? Or who is that? Fiance or? It's funny to say a boyfriend is seven years old. <laughs> now, because here, here's the thing. One thing I uh, not one thing. One of the things I learned from my mom is a sense of loyalty. Now she was with my father, and then she wasn't. That was probably her shortest term relationship mm-hmm. because then she was with my stepfather for. Almost over 15 years. So that was from like the time I was like five to like my late teens. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then she got another dude that was a complete asshole. <laughs> but at that time, I was grown in the sense I could come, go, leave. And at that time, I was a much bigger person. <laughs> <laughs> so I was never going to be the victim again. Yeah, you know the sport, the athlete, the 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 wrestling, the weightlifting. I was never going to. That's one of the reasons I was in sports, because I never wanted to be a victim. I wanted to be strong. I wanted to be this, that, and third. And I wrestled and stuff like that. And I'm a quiet, humble dude. I'm a quiet, humble dude. You saw my presence, mm-hmm. but when I say "don't make me angry." Don't make me angry because if there's a situation where you've been warned and warned and warned, mm-hmm. if you have me cross that threshold, you're not getting the situation that just happened. You're getting the situation and pent up shit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And. I don't like that person, and it's so cliche. Like when you think of the old Hulk, and David Banner was like, "Please, you don't like Boomer Banger, please." Mm-hmm. That's me. And talking to a therapist helps me keep that somewhere else, mm-hmm. and to understand, recognize when that person's getting sh- scratched or called on, and it helps me go, "Hey, no, hey, no," and 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 put it away. So that I don't deal with it. So there, there is that dark, and it's not comedic or anything. But there is that dark that I don't want to deal with that. And um, my mom got with that other guy. She was with him for almost twenty years, and he was a real piece of work. Yeah. I mean, not a man in any sense of the term. But when she left him, and she, she now finally has some happiness. She has a real. Dude, and I'm happy for for that. Yeah. And and he he's a good dude, but um, yeah, I I've had my share of experience dealing with it and having to be subjected to assholes. Yeah. So now, did when your stepfather was mean to you, did you use humor to defuse it? Like, hey, I'm, if I can see he's getting charged up. If I'm funny, maybe it, maybe whatever's coming my direction might get you know distilled or or maybe not as bad as it could have been. No, no, because. It, there, there, there was none of that. There was no chance to bring humor into it. What comedy did was it took me out of the world that I was in. So there was no sense of humor. There was no humor with him. I had to deal with the hell. But then on the flip side, search for happiness. And that's where comedy was with me. Allowed me to search for happiness. Okay. So, um, going into that then, um, 
would you, what, what would you say about the stereotype that comedians are fucked up or come from fucked up backgrounds? 100 percent it's 100 it's um one of those things where we get we get a certain type of training to look at things a certain way because see here's what's beautiful about comedy no matter what the situation is no matter how dark it is most people who haven't been dredged through darkness when you say something like oh my god how could you mm. but to a lot of comics who have been dredged through darkness they're like that ain't shit <laughs> I went through this so I'm able to look at and find the funny in that because that's not nearly as bad as where I've been what I've gone through or what I've experienced or lived. So I think that's where a lot of that comes from because our, our minds are just wired as such where we're like, really? You know, we, I, I think that we can um, help alleviate that. You know, when I finally do talk about or make the jokes about my past, I'm, it, you're going to find the funny in it. Mm -hmm. But then, it's just because I'm going to be able to look at it differently than most people. You know, most people, they hear, oh, you were called it, you know, you were called it faggot or you were called this and mm -hmm. you were threatened to get buried in a ditch. They'd be like, oh, my God, how did you, you know, do that? But now looking back on that, I could take that same thing that I just said. Mm -hmm. And if I was a wise man, I'd be like, yeah, I did you don't have the stamina to dig the ditch. Like, you know, you could, yeah. you could pick that apart, but when it was happening, it was all real. And, um, it, you know, it, it's just one of those things. That's why I think, yes, 100%, I believe that a lot of comics dealt with dark stuff. Okay. Well, so. thank, thank you for sharing that, first of all. Um, is it realistic in your mind to be able to have a great relationship with your wife and then also drive this comedy dream to the max. I'm talking, you're doing it full time. You're on the road for weeks like this. I mean, is that in your head? Is that a real expectation? Cause for me, I understand with having, I know you have kids yourself. Um, uh, um, but you know, I, I realize like, I can't, not that I'm talented enough, but I also realize like I'm happy. I just, just got to be happy with the opportunities that I have because I'll never be able to go out. Otherwise, I'll be sacrificing the personal part of my life and not, you know, I don't, I don't have. So, do you think realistically for yourself that you can maintain this relationship at a level that it's at and be able to go full steam ahead of comedy? Or like, hey, I'm gonna have to sacrifice things. I'm okay doing the rooms I'm currently doing. Um. I'm in it to win it. Um, this year got interrupted. Year five, I was really looking to put together some stuff to submit to TV outlets, um, whether they were a late night show or an internet web show. This was the year I was really anxious about putting some stuff out there to get me to more and more people. Um, when it comes to comedy, we have a rule in my house. If I can bank 
six months worth of paychecks from my real job because of what comedy is bringing in, I will be allowed to do comedy full time. Um, that is the rule. Not this, hey, honey, I'm just going to be unemployed and do comedy. And no, if, if I can make that kind of money to do that, then I can do comedy full time. But then there's a flip side to that. If I'm making that kind of money while I'm working a full time job, why not do both until the demands of comedy are so big that I just can't do the full time job? When it's like, hey, we need you here on Tuesday. Hey, we need you here. Because right now, comedy is a Friday, Saturday type thing uh -huh. outside of the open mics. Now, I do and run the open mic, as you know, in Reading on Thursdays. Uh -huh. And because I run the open mic, that is the one big compromise that is done. I am not an open mic warrior. Uh -huh. I applaud those that can do that. I cannot sustain my relationship if I'm at open mics Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, my relationship will fall because I have to give my wife her time. Things like date nights, which used to be on Fridays and Saturdays, now got switched to Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, that kind of thing. So there had to be an adjustment and change in the schedule, but I'm also, I'm not a 20-some-year-old hipster who's working, you know, in a coffee shop and living in my parents' basement. So at my age, I have to maintain and keep the balance, and I'm keeping the balance by um, doing what I'm doing as far as keeping my marriage happy, keeping my bills paid, keeping, you know, all those things in check, and, and that's what I'm doing. Now before we get to the joke, well, before we get to the joke, I want to uh, talk about age, and this is something that I struggle with myself. I know I'm younger than you, but I still feel like comedy right now, the stigma is comedians. You hear about like John Mulaney's guys, you know, they, they come out of college, or they drop out of college and become comics right away. I didn't start comedy until I was in my late 20s. I mean, I'm almost 35 now, I'll be 35, like, does your age, like, how does your age impede your, or not, maybe not impede, maybe it motivates you more to do stand-up? Well, I remember, like I said, in my teens, when I switched my major, I did a paper on the art of telling a joke, you know, telling a joke. It was the highest graded paper I ever had because mm -hmm. I had so much fun doing it. Mm -hmm. I don't think, when I look back, there's a reason I'm in it now and not then. I don't think I have enough life experiences to talk about what I'm doing now, which also I think lends into my style. I'm a life experience comic. I'm not going to be that comic that um, is just going to talk about the idiosyncrasies of a chair or something. I'm, I'm not that guy. That's not who I am. There are funny people who can do that and they can, you know, talk about that kind of stuff. Me, I needed, I needed all these ingredients to put the dish of comedy in front of you that you see today. I needed to be a horrible stepfather and all that. 
I needed to go through divorce. I needed to go jobs and joblessness and 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 I needed to all that to put who's in front of you here now. Um, and there's still plenty to talk about, as I say from the past, but um, I needed that. I don't think when I look back, I could have been in it the way I'm in it now. Um, and as far as younger comedians, I there's things that I'm doing that they can't talk about, just like I will acknowledge, hey, that's a funny bit, and you know, it, whatever it is, I believe I could rumble joke for joke, entertainment-wise, show-wise, you know, my 20 against someone else's 20. I, I don't feel discouraged. I will acknowledge when I think someone is truly gifted, talented, and funny, but I also believe, give me the same 20 minutes. Let me see if I can do the same thing. Like, I... I want to rumble with who people think are the funniest. I want people leaving going, hey, I've really gravitated towards you more than that person. I'm not doing it as an ego thing. I'm doing it because I want to share this, and it's not fair that I can't or don't want to share this. Um, they, you know, from a re religious standpoint, you know, you're supposed to share your gifts that God gave you. And in my life, I do, you know, I'm a carpenter and I'm a comedian. So I share the funny and then I share the ability to beautify and prove and, and stuff like that. So I am living a happy life in that regard that I'm doing what my talents have been doing. And it, it took a little, like I said, it took a little while for the comedy to come. But um, when, I, when I look at my life today, I'm a happy-ass dude. Like, yeah. I get to tell folks. And I can build shit. <laughs> yeah. And it, it brings a smile to my face because when... I, do you remember that phrase, find something you love to do and then find some way to get paid to do it? Yeah. And never work it. Like, that is me. Good. You know? So, I'm 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 stoked. And, and I'm happy that I'm doing it now. And whether I'm the 49-year-old guy on stage or not, like you put me on any building, and I I can guarantee you, yeah, I'll give the headliner all the respect they deserve, but I can guarantee you that I'm going to put my best out there so that it elevates the show, whether I'm the host, whether I'm the feature, whatever. And there may be some people who walk out going, hey, I, I gravitated towards what you were saying, more so than what the headliner said. And if that happens, so be it. Then I did my job. I was able to to share my funny, you know, and I love doing that. Good, man. Well, no, I'm, I'm glad. So let's, let's, let's get to the joke. Uh, so the one, first one I want to talk about is my favorite joke you do, which is the mattress store bit. My wife told me the other day, she's like, honey, we need a new mattress. Our sag's in the middle. I'm like, baby, I can't confirm nor deny what the hell you're telling me. She goes, no, you don't understand. We need a new mattress. Our sag's in the middle. And I'm like, baby, what do you want me to do? She said the magic words, which was, I'm buying. I'm like, shit, let's go. We're getting a new mattress, right? So we show up to a mattress store, pull up to the parking lot. 
I don't know why mattress stores need a parking lot. I mean, there's never more than one idiot in a mattress store anytime you go shopping for a mattress, right? And we go in there, and this kid comes out. I swear to God, you got to ring a bell. You got to announce your presence because they're coming from the back. Like, what the hell is so comfortable in the back that's more comfortable than all this comfort out here, right? This kid comes running out. Looks like he did two lines of Coke and three Monster Energy drinks, you know? He's all excited. He's like, hey, man, you ready to make the most important purchase of your life? I'm like, easy, Skippy. I own a damn house, you know? He goes, no, a mattress is the most important purchase of your life because you sleep one-third of your life away. I said, wrong again, Junior. I haven't had eight hours of sleep since 1992. And that was off tequila. I did get close in 96, but that was NyQuil. Truth be told, those two should make a product called Nikeela when you absolutely positively don't have to wake up the next morning. So we're running around, we're looking at the mattresses and stuff. My wife's trying them out, doing her positions. I'm pushing on the edges of them like, this one feels nice. I like the piping on that one over there. We're looking at these mattresses and goddamn, they're expensive. They are so expensive. But mattress companies are failing us, people. I'll tell you why they're failing us. Because all these mattresses with all their bells and whistles, they keep making them in wedding gown white. Mattress companies need to get with the ball if we're going to spend all this money and keep it for years. They need to start making it more useful colors, like piss yellow. <laughs> Maybe rust red. Oh, the lady's clinched up on that one. All right, look, we're at a winery. I'll call it Merlot. Does that make you happy? Or how about, I don't know what the hell happened brown. Or maybe just a camouflage pattern of all three of these colors, right? Because I don't care who you are. I don't care how much money you make. I don't care what your credit score is. There are very few people on this lawn here tonight that are willing to put your 10-year-old mattress out to the curb two days early and let all your neighbors bear witness to that damn DNA pancake you got out there. You just ain't going to do it. For real, trash guys pull up. You watch them through your window. They're out there doing rock, paper, scissors to see who gets the unfortunate deed of putting your mattress in the damn back of the truck. I will tell you this, though. We did find a damn mattress, and I'm glad that we found one that was dark in color because one half of my marriage, I won't say who he is, he already's got a halfway to one, <laughs> which is, I don't know what the hell happened, bro. <laughs> so this is where I'm fascinated about how comedians work, like whether it's different than I do, there's any similarities, but like, so where did that idea come from? Like, where, did, where were you when this is like, this is a joke? Okay. All right. This is where the mattress store, the mattress joke, I won't even call it this mattress store, the mattress joke came from. Um, I had already been in comedy and a couple comedy dollars here and there and we bought a mattress. It was a pill top mattress and um, we were excited because we had been living on the mattress I got when I got divorced 
So by that time, that mattress was about 15 years old. And I remember, you know, the mattress, it wasn't a pretty mattress. And I didn't want to throw it out. But what had happened was that kind of always just stayed in my back pocket about that, throwing the old mattress out in front of my neighbors. Um, where the mattress joke originally blew up from was it was one Saturday morning after um, a comedy show and my wife was home with me and she was complaining about her back hurting. I'm like, what do you mean your back's hurting? We, we just spent thousands of dollars on this pillow top mattress. What are you talking about? And she goes, no, honey, look, feel the mattress. It's sagging in the middle. And I'm like, honey, I never get to feel the middle of the mattress because you always push me to the edge. This is real life as we're talking. She goes, oh, what are you talking about? I'm like, honey, you're in the middle of the mattress. I don't know what you're talking about. No, we just spent thousands of dollars. You can't tell me this mattress is bad. I'm like, you know what? Fine. Look, I know we just spent thousands of dollars on this. We're going to go mattress shopping. So we went mattress shopping. And we pull up to the mattress store parking lot. And like I said, it was a huge parking lot. Um, it used to be a, like, like, um, like a blockbuster. Okay. So it had its dedicated parking lot. And yeah. There was never, no one was in there except us. And I'm starting to think and I'm like, this all, this all can be funny. I got to put this experience together. I got to put this experience together in the sense of what happens with the mattress. Now, the mattress joke started out where I was making fun of space sleep on the mattress. And it was very short. The mattress joke can run about 10 minutes now. Um, so we made fun of sharing space in the bed. And then we made fun of the old mattress. And then the new mattress came into effect. And then all of a sudden, everything just started. I think, here's what I've noticed. I don't know if you've noticed. My funniest jokes, when they fall together, they fall boom, 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 boom. The jokes I think are going to be masterpieces, the most complex. I do all this research for they, they were, but the funniest jokes seem to just, all of a sudden, it's just this, you just get hit with every tag, punchline, boom, 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 and then you're sitting there scrambling, trying to put them together like a puzzle. Mm -hmm. like, oh, this, here, this piece, this piece, this piece, and you, and you start to put them together, and then you're like, wow, this is a great, this is great, let me share it. And then when you start sharing, and consistently, not just young audiences, old audiences, um, intermediate, when you start sharing it with a broad spectrum, because you know, you could do jokes that are centered towards people in relationships. You can do jokes towards people that are single. But when you start sharing this with the masses, and it's like, Oh man, everybody's laughing at this. Everybody can relate to this. Everybody can get into it. That's when you're like, oh my God, I got, I, I got a winner. 
And when that winner goes from being a three-minute bit to, I won't say I can do it for 20, but I definitely think I clock it close to 10 sometimes, where you're like, wow, there, there came. And this was all real-life experiences. It, it literally started with my wife complaining about the mattress sag. And then it was like, this came, that came, this came, that came. All right. So, and it, okay, I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, like, so, so, so we have, you, you, you talk, you, so you experienced the, the, the sharing of the mattress. A few weeks later, you're throwing a mattress out. A few weeks later, you're buying a mattress. Are you, are you putting this in your phone? Are you writing it down? What's technical, what technical things are you doing as, are this, are this stays in your head? You never write it down and you go on stage and just start word farting all over the, the mic and seeing what mat, what mixes together. I gotta tell you, honestly, nothing of the mattress joke was written down. I kind of Jay-Z'd the shit. <laughs> I really did. Um, and, Here's where I am with writing stuff down. Like I will think of premises and I will put them in my phone. Stuff that happens real time, real life, because it's happening and it's me. I'm very fortunate that I got, I'm blessed and cursed that I have an amazing memory where I can remember and withhold things. Like I said, it's a blessing and curse because I remember the bad, but when things happen, I can remember, and a lot of times, which I may have to work on, I don't know. If it comes time for me to tape a special, I may have to work on really getting things together, but I'm very organic, so no matter if the mattress joke is told on a Friday and it's told on a Saturday, or even told when you have those shows where it's two in the night, the mattress joke isn't verbatim every single time it's very organic where it's like hey look it's the same ingredients they may have you know been added a little more here and there all depending on what the audience has given me but the mattress joke i never wrote interesting so 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 then how do you edit so like do you record every set that you do and then like listen back and, all right this this thing this line didn't work or i'm going on a little too long over here do you record it like, or does your mind just self-edit between performances? Like your mind just remembers the good things and kind of all the bad crap is kind of. My mind remembers the good and bad um, in the sense where it's like, if there's a tag or a punch that I add to it, like I remember one show I added the trash men doing um, rock, paper, scissors. Mm -hmm. I freestyled that. That they were laughing, they were loving it. I freestyled that. And it happened to work. So now more times than not, as I do the mattress joke, I'm going to mention the trashman out at the curb doing rock, paper, scissors, debating who's going to throw the, the nasty mattress in the thing. So my mind, it remembers and captures those things. It captures those punches. More times than not, I remember the good punches. Every now and then, I'm like, oh my God, what was it I said when I said, and that's when I regret not taping because there was something that may have went down that night that was so funny and I wish I could call it back. But for the most part, 
if it's tape and the show went great and there was nothing new I added, I'm not really reviewing the tape that much. Um, Jimmy Carroll told me, he said, um, it's what, when you look at your tapes, you gotta not look at when you're making laugh. You gotta listen to your tapes where it's, why aren't they laughing? And that's when I look at tapes, when I'm sitting there and I'm like, how can I make this joke better? How can I make that joke better? And right now, um, I, the Jamal joke I thought was always the biggest hitter in the beginning. The Jamal joke, some people may say, ah, it's, it just is what it is. But the mattress joke is now like, how can I turn um, dealing with my family into the mattress joke? How can I turn um, the spider bit into the mattress? Like, that's like the level I think of when I look at other jokes because organically, um, the mattress joke, I think, is by far the best one. And I can't say that I've written that I've told. Okay. So, so, so do you analyze your jokes at all? You said that um, the few times you do watch your bits back, you look for the part that people aren't laughing. But is there an analyst of your joke? So you tell one on stage, if you recorded it, you didn't, or, or if you did, great. But is there like a self-reflection time, either right after you get off stage, or at, like later that night, or the next day, where you're like, all right, I'm gonna sit down here, I'm gonna look over this mattress joke, and I'm just gonna have to figure out in my head how to weed out anything. Or do you just kinda just go to the next performance and just and just be like, hey, you know, I'm gonna make, somehow my mind's gonna make it better than it was the last time I told this. Um, I'll tell you what, I'm very fortunate that I get out a lot, and I get to try my stuff real world. I told you before, I don't get the opportunity to go to a lot of open mics to try it. Uh, um, I'm not saying open mics don't help people. I often imagine how much funnier I would be than I am now. And I, I, that sounds like such a selfish, sounds like such an asshole thing to say how much funnier I would be. But I do know that if there was even more rats, it would even get better. Uh -huh. And um, I will do a lot of my premising and I'll do it live in a show. And what'll happen is I will sprinkle it in the middle of hitters. Hitters are the ones that you know they're laughing. So I'm like, okay, I made them laugh. I'm feeling good. Let me try to sell this. And if it falls flat, I bring back another hitter and get out of it. Uh -huh. And then, dodge that bullet. So, I um, I will look at jokes. And what has happened, especially with this downtime, uh -huh. is that it's had me look at the other jokes. And it has me say, literally, how can I make this the mattress joke? How can I make this the mattress joke? And what I mean by that is, how can I get it so universally accepted and so hilariously funny that if I was up given a 20-minute window to tell jokes, 
that there was no downtime, that it was just rip, roar, laughter, and, and, and in such a way where it, it wasn't it wasn't deliberate punchlines. Like it was just me telling a story so so organically, so smoothly, like I'm having a conversation with you yeah. that they didn't even realize I was telling jokes. I was just being funny. Because that's the whole thing. Uh-huh. I want to get to the point where I'm not telling jokes. I'm speaking to you and it's just so damn funny. I just want to be that organic and smooth with it that you didn't know I was throwing punchlines in. I just made you bust up. Nice. Well, let's, let's talk about your delivery because you, you have a unique delivery in the fact that um, I don't know if I could describe your delivery clearly because it is, I almost, because it, it, there's times where you're trying to like like look around almost like you're like trying to convince like trying to find somebody to relate to what you're talking about and then sometimes your your brow will be furrowed and you're like there's a frustration in your voice like I know like I'm trying like I don't know what do you like do you have a style of delivery you go up with because it is kind of it's it's not a character of yourself it's you're being you but it's like um it's not static throughout the performance sometimes it's like looking around the room, seeing who's agree, like who's on board with you. Other times it's like a rant that you're doing. Um, can you describe your delivery? Is any of that on purpose or is it just a natural for like, hey, I'm going to act out on this end. Is there a, is there a, deli- is there a uh, deliberate way that you deliver a joke? Um, I am doing my best to capture me. I've had people tell me, you need to stand on a spot you need to not put your hands in your pocket. You need to, you know, like very mechanical, and that's not me. Mm-hmm. I'm, as you see, as we do this, I talk with my hands. Mm-hmm. Um, there are times where I go on a rant when I'm trying to make a point where I will rattle off bullet points, and, and that's just natural if I'm debating something with my wife or we're discussing something, and, and it, I'm trying to be as me as I can be. I really want to be a live 3D performance where you're 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 going to see me sweat. You're going to see me put myself out there. Yeah. Um. So. Um. Uh. Going. So going back. So you kind of walked through. I guess you had told me before you kind of screened your jokes through your wife. But then you just mentioned this last part. Do you do you also somewhat screen through Facebook? You throw a premise out there, but get the whole bunch of likes. Will you expand upon that on a show? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Uh, That's fair. I just wanted to. Yeah, and 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 I use. Here's two things that I find very good about Facebook. Um, because I don't get a lot open mics, and because a lot of the people that are viewing these premises are possible patrons. I feel if I put a premise out there and it gets a bite and it gets more laughs than likes, number one, I know I have a premise. Number two, it's tried, it's a premise tried not with other comedians. Because, you know, sometimes comics aren't going to give you the real thing in an open mic. Mm -hmm. Half of them are drinking or out front smoking. You know, occasionally they'll come up to you and be like, hey, man, I like what you're doing there. 
and, and you can bounce stuff off of. Um, so Facebook does that. The other thing that Facebook does, and I don't think a lot of people take notice, most of my premises I put in those pictures mm -hmm. where it's the font. Yeah. Well, the thing about those premises and that font is you're only allowed so many characters before it kicks you out of that. So as I start this, it may be real wordy. Mm -hmm. My goal is to get it to fit in that font, which means I got to cut out the fat, I got to cut out the words, which is helping me get to the point at hand, which is the funny. So it's that's actually helping me. I don't know what it does for anybody else. I don't know if you ever thought about that website. Like, hey, I got this joke, and but it it makes you it forces you to shrink it to get to the point at funny as quick as possible. And then from there, something something happens, and then I start to grow a joke. Um, so you do write. So the Facebook is about as far into writing as you're going to get. It seems like that is writing for you. You're writing, you're editing, you're looking to see. So that is that is about close to writing a joke as you get is the Facebook. Everything else is in your yeah, head. In the sense that in my notes, I have premises. Oh, that's right. Your phone. These are your phone. This is, you don't have a comedy notebook. It's where you, if I said, give me your comedy notebook, give me, give me where you write jokes, you just hand me your phone. That's pretty much what you would do. Okay. Yep. I have notes in my phone. Some of those notes have become premises that I try on Facebook. Um, but physical pen to paper? No, I'm not, a, I'm not a pen to paper guy. And I'm not even the fastest typer. Like I said, I know I want to get to the funny as best as possible, and I just literally, like I said, from one show to the next, it may be a little bit different. And I like that. I do like that. I don't like when I'm telling a joke verbatim, because in my whacked out mind, I'm like, oh, you're doing it verbatim again. So then you just, I just fall into this, up, 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 where it's very mechanical and mm -hmm. I don't want to be yeah. so I like the fact that I can't sit here and go the mattress joke is 1,000 words takes 5 minutes and 23 seconds I, I, I personally don't like that I don't know if I'm breaking a comic rule I don't know if like I said if that's held against me I just know when I get up there, I don't want to be so structured that I come across as structured. And I, I personally think if I'm loose like that, it allows me to also be loose with whatever the audience may give, give me that might allow me to go off onto something else. Are you, uh, is there, are there subjects that you will not touch? Things that you won't joke about? Are there lit? Do you have a lit? Like, hey, I'm not. No matter what, no matter if I come with the funniest thing in my head, it, this I'm not talking about this, no matter what. Yeah, yeah, there is. I actually, in the beginning, um, I wrote a joke that I hate to admit. In the beginning, when I said it has slate. Mm. um. And from here on out, 
I will, I will not punch down. I will always punch up. Um, we live in a culture where things can come back upon us. And knowing that, I try to live my life since I've become aware of it, uh -huh. not going that route. So, um, the phrase, it's, it's very simple. Don't punch down, punch up. So, and not that I'm calling myself elitist by putting people underneath me, but there, I won't, I won't make fun of physically disabled. Um, I did a joke about the NFL. Well, I can't even call it a joke. I did, I did something back in the day about, uh, abuse. Now, I didn't say I abused somebody. I was trying to, I was tiptoeing around the subject, uh -huh. and um, I'm like, the more I think about it, I'm like, you can do better. Um, and there are some jokes that I tell to this day, not that they are subjects I don't want to talk about, but I said to myself, Jesse, you can do better. And that's what brought me back to the whole, hey, what can you do to make this like the mattress joke? Uh -huh. Like, I want to keep evolving and and I get it in the beginning as, as as someone that's trying to trying to start out, you're trying to think of anything funny because the only thing you're focused on is do I have enough material for five minutes? Uh -huh. Do I have enough material for five minutes? And you're not focusing on um like anything but five minutes. Yeah. And you're gonna throw anything in the pot just to get to that five minutes. Well, as I've grown, yeah, I, I won't make fun of, I won't make fun of physically challenged. I, um, uh, I, I won't punch down. I'll punch up. As you've seen from my set, it's all about me, my wife. Now, um, I made some comments that are true about my family. Uh -huh. I don't consider that punching down. Um, I, you know, I make the reference that I have an uncle that's been a crackhead for 35 years. Um, I don't consider that punching down. That is a truth. Um, but, yeah, there, there's just some things I just, there's no need to talk about. Yeah. Now, what about things in your life that are dark? I mean, we talked about your stepfather, but what about, we talk, I mean, you, you reference your divorce, but you don't really talk about your divorce. What about your kids? Do you go, will you, will you talk about your kids or my kids are off limit? Like what are what about personal heartaches for you? Will you delve into those eventually? May not be right this second, but maybe ten years from now, or is it like this is too? I can't. There's nothing I can do to make this funny. Maybe. And I don't know if this is. I maybe we're gonna. I don't know how much you want to go into those subjects because I know no, a little no, bit I, about I, that. But I can go. I can go into it. Um, I don't talk about my kids because I I don't have a relationship with my kids. Um, I am a victim of parental alienation. Um, so I don't talk about my kids because it's been over 10 plus years of any memories with them. Um, I could talk a boatload about my ex-wife that I think would be hilarious to tell, but there's part of me, and I guess this goes back to what we're going to talk about, I don't want to give her any kind of power. I don't want to give her any kind of fame. 
she's done enough to me to hurt me in the sense that I don't even say her name. Um, because, like I said, I don't have a relationship with my kids and everything else like that. So, with that being said, as I grow as a comic, I will talk about um, I will talk about marriage in a failed marriage. I will talk about um, children. But if I'm going to do anything on a comedic level, I'm really going to talk about domestic relations. Um, and I know there's a lot of people that can delve into that. And there will come a time for that where I will rip domestic relations a new asshole before I give any real power acknowledgement to my ex-wife. Uh -huh. um, my kids, they don't, I won't say they don't deserve being talked about, but I, I can honestly say my children have been out of my life longer than they were in my life, so I don't really have enough to talk about in regards to that. Okay. Uh, so that's one of those subjects I don't even know if I could even be comedic about because I was around my children until they got to be around 10, 11. Then after that, they've no longer been a part of my life. Now, my wife has children, uh -huh. and, and there was that whole stepdaddy thing, but now they had children. Uh -huh. uh, even though I have grandchildren that are of my flesh and blood that I don't know, my wife's children have children, and I have grandchildren there, and there's nothing but love and blessings and everything there. Awesome. Because when I out with my wife, it was around the same time that her kids, which are older than mine, they were getting in those teenage years, so there was this, uh -huh. oh, stepdaddy, I don't want to do it. So there was a lot of fight in the beginning, but as they became parents, they were like, oh, I see what you were doing. Uh -huh. It all makes sense to me now. And our relationship has grown incredibly strong and stronger because they understand what it's like now being parents. And they saw where I was coming from. I never tried to replace their dad. Uh -huh. I try to give them life lessons, um, make sure that the content of their character was high, um, make sure that they weren't absence of morals and stuff like that. But they see that now. So I'll say my ex-wife, my children, they can also go in the subject of what I won't talk about. I will talk about divorce and I will talk about domestic relations and, and, and the whole um, uh, issue of when you have the kids and don't have the kids and that kind of stuff I will, but I won't, I won't bring them because I don't have the right to. I, unfortunately, like I said, I don't know them well enough to mm. do that. Okay. So, again, pain in a comic's life, you know, that you deal with, um, that, you know, I just don't think I could ever make that funny. Yeah, but it's touching to know that you, you have a really good relationship with your grandkids. I think that's cool. Especially because of all the stuff you went through. I mean, 
you kind of think about how, you know, there wasn't really a, a, like a really good male figure in your life growing up, but now you have a really, now they have a really good male figure in their life. So it's like you've made it turn to 180. Um, you didn't let your past experiences dictate about how you're going to be now kind of thing. Well, it was very easy. Mm -hmm. I think that I take, I take what I saw growing up and I said, just do the opposite. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just do the opposite. And I thought that was a winning formula, you know? Don't be that person. Don't be that asshole. So what is your next like achievable step? Like what's the next step for you and when do you know that you've accomplished it? Um again, I was trying to get something together on tape to submit to get to T V outlets. Uh -huh. Um I this year also wanted to travel more. Um, I did get linked in with the um, with the uh, Comedy Zone circuit. I am low on their board. Um, the world doesn't need uh, more comics, you know. <laughs> the, I think they, I, you know when you know when you promote your shows, you got your rotation, you got mm -hmm, your stock. Mm -hmm. You're more than willing to give someone a try here and there, but it's just so hard cutting in to a new promoter, to a new market. And this year I was really looking forward to, um, before I got fired, I was hoarding, I was hoarding my, um, sick time, uh -huh. you know, so that if I got the call, I could take off from Fridays to go travel to the Carolinas, here, uh -huh. wherever, to get my comedy off the boat, I mean, off the ground in that regards. And I won't say that 2020 is totally ruined. Um, the fall is coming. I mean, shows may happen through the summer, but I still want to keep pushing. And my, I, I'm just, I have the same goals travel more and get something out there for TV executives and that's that's my goal right now. I got two I got two last things here but or one last thing but before that I want to do anything you want to plug as far as I mean I don't know when this is going to go out as far as shows are concerned but is, do you like a, I don't think you have a website right do you mostly direct people to your Facebook page? Yes. What about Reading Comedy Outlet, the, the, the show, the open mic and the shows that you run there? Is there, is there a Facebook page for that or is there like a, like a link on the Alley Oops website? How can I, I'll put all this in the show notes for the people who just click on it, but what is it that you would like me to put in those show notes? To, okay. To market um, you. To market me. Uh huh. Um, the Reading Comedy Outlet on Facebook. Um, Instagram, the followers are very low. I'd like to see the numbers get way up. Um, it's the Reading Comedy. I didn't get a chance to put out there. Um, if you go to Alley Oops webpage, there's a spot up there for um, following. You got to kind of follow it down a rabbit hole, the Reading Comedy outlet. Uh, uh -huh. What I really want you to look at is J and D. That's Jesse and D. Uh, Facebook? We, well, we don't have it on Facebook, but no. we haven't developed it big time yet. But right now I am associated with the Reading Comedy Outlet. I don't own it. I don't own the rights. I 
put shows on through there. I run the open mic out of there. I have exclusive opportunities to do comedy through the Reading Comedy Outlet. Uh, my wife is on my team. It's J and D. I want you to look at that. Like I said, I'd love to create opportunities for me and my fellow comic friends to get on a show, to do something. I I, I love the um, I love the backpack drive I do, the back to school supply, giving uh -huh. back to community. I love the toys for tots thing I do. I love those kind of things of giving back. Um, but I really don't want to be wrapped up into putting shows on twice a month, weekly. It, I don't want to be a promoter. Maybe if there comes a time in my life where I'm done telling jokes because I love comedy, I would think about it. But I want to be a comic. I want people to go, that's Jesse Blanco. He's funny as hell. I don't want them to go, that's Jesse Blanco. He runs the Reading Comedy Hour. No. Like, I don't want that recognition. I want to be, I mean, we're all in a sense fame whores. This uh -huh. where we want to get known. You know, we want to be in a grocery store and someone go, hey, didn't I see you tell you're a funny son of the beat, you know? Uh -huh. But I want to be a comic. And I say that wholeheartedly. I want to be a comic. So that's what I got as far as promotion with that. But look at the J&D. J&D on what, Facebook? Go, or just anywhere? Just if you see the Anywhere when it comes to comedy in the running area. Okay. Look for J&D because that's me and my wife. And we're going to put on one hell of a show. Like I said, we're contemplating where we go and what we do. This COVID has had us all fall back. Uh-huh. Has had us all fall back and reevaluate things. And um, we will see what I say for. All right. That's our episode with uh, Jesse Blanco, who I was so happy and appreciative that he sat down with me. Was very open, very honest, which he always is. I love Jesse to death, and I think after this episode, everyone will love him as well. Uh, please check out the show notes to see all the J&D and the Reading Comedy Outlet shows that are coming up. Um, check out his Facebook page. Uh, he's still active in doing shows. Uh, Jesse uh, will be on uh, the Sweet Sweet Comedy shows that, that I'm running, which you can find a link to here too. Um, but again, please subscribe to this channel, and we'll see you next Monday with another interview. All right, guys, take care.